0: Welcome to episode 29 of Breakout Culture. I'm Ed Vazier and I'm none other than the culture editor of Country and Townhouse magazine.
1: And I'm Charlotte Metcalf and I'm the associate editor at the magazine. Now this week we're
0: becoming very grand and stately because completely coincidentally the thread that links all three of our guests is Blenheim Palace. We're going to be talking to the Duchess of Rutland about her podcast Duchess and in one of the episodes she talks to my great friend Lady Henrietta Spencer Churchill about Blenheim. The photographer Hugo Ritson-Thomas is going to be here, telling us about his book, Wildflowers for the Queen. And one of the beautiful wildflower meadows featured in his book is, of course, at Blenheim. But first, we're actually going to talk about Blenheim Palace itself and the Blenheim virtual talks that are taking place throughout March and April. To tell us about them is the historian who's so popular that his podcast, History Hit, is the most listened to history podcast in the UK. He is, of course, Dan Snow, and he's here with us on our slightly less listened to podcast. Hello, Dan.
2: Well, hello, being the most listened to history podcast. I I won't get too big headed about that.
1: Well, it's very good to have you with us. And I'm really looking forward to your talk at Blenheim because your passion for history means that if anyone can get our listeners even more excited about Blenheim than they already are, then it's you. Now, you're going to be in conversation with Blenheim Palace's own historian, Antonia Keeney, is that right? Yes, I like talking to Antonia.
2: I love going to visit the archives there. I mean, the thing about Blenheim Palace is the the beauty of the architecture the, the setting, uh, the, the the kind of majesty of the whole place is matched by the care and attention that they spend in their archives. Now, most people probably don't care quite as much about that as they do about the grand gardens and park and artwork and building. But for me, it's wonderful because they've got this beautiful archive and they are so meticulous and they're fascinated going back, sort of drawing through it for previous things that other archivists and historians have overlooked. So recently they found Sarah Churchill's, uh, who was the wife of the first Duke of Marlborough and his sort of political manager. She was the reason that he was appointed to high office, one of the reasons he was appointed to high military office. She was Queen Anne's best buddy and as everyone saw the fictionalised account of her friendship with Queen Anne uh, in The Favourite but that was based on, on their real relationship. And she published, she sort of wrote this rather amazing book which is kind of almost a work of philosophy, really. That was recently found and they showed that to me the other day. So I love going there and I love spending time with the historians and archivists.
1: Your first webinar together with Antonio is entitled The Unknown Churchill and it's on this week on Wednesday, the 17th of March at 7.30. So tell our listeners a bit about what they're going to hear.
2: I quite enjoy sitting on these webinars because I, I actually just ask questions and I hope I'm sort of asking the things that the audience might be thinking at the time. And Winston Churchill, grandson of the Duke of Marlborough, born in um, Blenheim Palace. His mother uh, felt a bit faint. He came early at a party. They were having a wild old time, and then she had to retire to a ground floor room and had him. It is There is another school of thought that says he might have actually been nine months. He might have, She might have been at term, but their wedding was not sufficiently... Uh, long in the past for that to have been known so so <laughs> so they, 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 there's some there's there a school of thought so there might have been some dates fiddling but uh, so he was the uh, cousin the Duke of Marlborough he was passionate about his family's history as everyone knows he wrote his huge biographies both of his father but as his illustrious ancestor, ancestor the first Duke of Marlborough John Churchill with whom he served uh, shared a name uh, and so he uh, you know, it's always nice to think of him in the, in that context, in the Blenheim context, uh, not just as as a wartime Prime Minister and and uh, the, the sort of some of the and perhaps as a First World War, First Lord, um, you know, First Lord of the Admiralty and things like that. So it's just just going into that remarkable man's character, um, seeing what seeing what Blenheim archives have turned up. Again, what's amazing about Blenheim is the kind of the other connections. It's not just the first, it's not just the first duke. Uh, it's not just Winston Churchill it's the fact that the the Blenheim Palace itself the family's fortunes were saved by the Vander, by American money uh, the Vanderbilt family the, the the Duchess of Marlborough um was uh, Consuelo Vanderbilt she she saved Blenheim Palace simple as that and she uh, and she brought so so there there is there are exhibitions about her for example which, which is great because they rotate things like that. They've got, so much to, they've got so much to share.
0: I mean, I do, I love, I mean, I remember, I was in fact the Minister for Archives. I remember going to the National Archives and they did a little display for me, not on Blenheim Palace, on Didcot. I am in fact now Lord Vasey of Didcot. Didcot, which is a town I love and admire. But it, I thought it was so clever because you go in and they show you a petition from the residents of Didcot complaining about the trains being late. <laughs> but from from 1840, and you realise, you know, it's all been there. And I said to them, they should do a sort of personal 10 archive material for every MP and you'd then have 650 politicians who would die in a ditch to support the National Archives. I mean, I do think archives are wonderful things. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. <laughs> they, they saw you coming, is all I can <laughs> they say. Certainly they certainly did They saw you coming.
2: coming. MP, MP, co- constituency covers did call, co- and you're the I mean, you know, they. I'm I, you know what, I'm dare, dare I say, it might not be the first time they pulled that trick.
0: Dare I say that I also, once had dinner at Blenheim Palace as the Heritage Minister, I was summoned to give my annual report. And I think, I've never been in a room with more dukes. I think there are at least three. There may have been five. Good right. Lord. Very, very exciting evening. I wasn't asked to stay the night there. <laughs> <laughs> Dinner, you say?
1: Dinner, wine?
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: Well, they'll probably give you a glass of wine, won't they, Dan? After your talk.
2: <laughs> well, no, of course it's all remote now, like the way that we're talking on this, all, on talking on this wonderful podcast. Yes. Yeah, so. Now, let me oh. let me
0: just say. I think we've had enough of blending. We want more of Dan. So just very quickly, two, two things I want to say. One is, in terms of are you the most popular historian, I did a quick check after you modestly said that having the most popular podcast, history podcast, was nothing. And I sense checked you against Tom Holland. And you'll be pleased to know that he has 200,000 Twitter followers and you have 330 or something. Probably more. Well,
2: but I'm relentlessly. Tom Holland is actually a historian who writes proper books, whereas I spend most of my day on Twitter.
0: I want to know how History Hit TV is going, because you've basically got your own TV channel. Tell us about yeah, that.
2: I have, and I'm, I'm incredibly lucky. So I've got my own channel, but of course what that is, it's just a very posh name for a, for a website. And like, like Netflix, really, but a, a, a much smaller version, I have a special channel just for history. It's like Netflix for history but it 's exciting and and what there's one of these that exists for golf and opera and all these other things and and, and if you love if you particularly have a great passion and you feel you 're not getting enough of it on a mainstream channel, you can subscribe to one of these these niche video on demand services and it 's great you know we 've got hundreds of hours of history documentary make new stuff all the time we employ twenty five people it 's like a real sort of business it 's really exciting and with all the money that comes in through subscription we we can we we respond we, we make programs. Uh, we we uh, we we were out yesterday in the Channel on the Solent, looking at Hurst Castle, which tragically is falling into the sea. One of the great castles of of the, this part of England, uh, because it's being undermined by tides and rough seas and rising sea waters. Uh, and so we we're able to get out there, do it, not worry about the BBC or ITV sort of saying, oh, I'm not that I'm not that interested in Henrichian forts falling into the
1: sea. We know that our fans are, and we get out there and do it. I read a lovely story at the weekend that you made an appearance on a. Kids' podcast called the Historic Present that was set up by two teenage boys doing their GCSEs. Oh, I read that as well. Yeah, I know. It's
2: weird. I I I just said I they'd got in touch on Twitter. I said, "Yeah, I'm sure." I did half an hour. I never thought about it ever again. Next thing know, they're in the Times. I mean, unbelievable. <laughs> well, they um, went viral. It went thanks viral. to you. Yeah. yeah. Well, not thanks to me at all. But it's um, <laughs> it was it was uh, it was amazing. So good on them.
0: And I also read your dad almost got shot. I read that as well. Yes. It's been a really. It's been Is- a Snow family. It's News a, fest. It's been a flurry of snow, <laughs> as they say. <said. laughs> <laughs> yeah. God, Charlotte, you laughed at that. I
1: know. What a flurry us so, You have such a pure I say art sycophantic. View, so, <laughs> that was the most sycophantic.
0: I know. You've not, oh, I wanted to that's right, you put me off my question, but I wanted to tempt Dan. I wanted to say, do you have a view on the whole woke colonialism debate, as it were?
2: Uh, yeah. Well, I, well, actually, luckily, I don't have a sort of neatly packaged view because it's that's the wonderful thing about not being a sort of politician or, a, or a, you know, I, I actually I find it very I find it very difficult and confusing. And I find I, I find I, what I think is when it's weaponized as a culture war by you know by yes, by that's exactly people, the word I was
0: about to use. Yeah, that,
2: that's the, that's where we start to get in trouble rather than just having a kind of you know what my my ancestors were. My ancestors were nabobs in India. They they were uh, pro- probably, if we look hard enough, they were probably slave traders in there as well. I mean, what does that what does that mean? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know what it means. But uh, but I do quite like continuing to learn about it.
0: Um, final question, which is obviously Charlotte's favourite question. Who's your favourite historian?
2: Well, that's very difficult. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> as you will know, uh, we are blessed, and another, another reason I think history has been very successful is we have a gigantic pool of extremely talented communicators in this country who are are, are public facing historians. Um as everybody knows. I mean, there's people that sell vast numbers, but I mentioned William Dalrymple, you've mentioned Tom Holland, and uh, there's we, Lucy Worsley. I get mobbed in the streets by people asking if I know Lucy Worsley, Mary Beers. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think, I think that uh, they are, and, and they're all good at slightly different things. You know, Giles Milton writes brilliant narrative history. James Holland writes wonderfully about the Second World War. I, I think Bethany Hughes is, is one of the great presenters of history and and writes beautifully a book on istanbul's fantastic yeah she's been we've had her on the podcast we have we have had her on this podcast super smart um and and so the answers are very boring i don't think i have a favorite. it's like having a favorite movie i I just don't have a favorite historian but but i but i'm I, i am very aware that we are and i've take taken full advantage of the fact that we are we are blessed in this country for having a a deep a deep bench of talent is that is that what they say in the sporting world yeah
0: yeah full squad Full score. So, look, just before you go, and I'm sure you know this only too well, Dan, I thought our listeners would n- be interested to know that Blenheim Palace has made 71 screen appearances. Wow,
2: More film that and TV amazing.
0: appearances than any other English country house. Isn't that amazing? It's top of the league. God, that's So, that's it's no coincidence that it's now dominated this podcast. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on. You have to register, go on the Blenheim Palace website to register to hear Dan quiz uh, the Blenheim Archivist. Charlotte and I will be doing that. And you're a sweetheart to come on. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you, guys.
2: It's really kind
0: of you. Spring is definitely in the air. And how better for this right royal podcast to celebrate it than with a beautiful book, which itself is a celebration of Britain's coronation meadows. These are planted at the instigation of the wonderful Prince Charles in collaboration with Plant Life in 2013, at the time of the 60th anniversary of the coronation. Entitled Wildflowers for the Queen, the book is by the renowned photographer Hugo Ritson Thomas, who listeners might already know for his previous books, Secret Gardens of the Cotswolds, published in 2015, and The Queen's People, published by Asseline five years ago. He's here with us today. Good morning, Hugo.
3: Ed, lovely to hear you. Yeah, no, spring is very much in the air and and all these wonderful wildflower meadows are springing into life um, (laughs) and and performing, you know, a a wonderful magnet for people still under lockdown to, to perform their local walks.
1: Well, Hugo, it's lovely to have you with us. And now this really is a great, big, sumptuous, gorgeous book. And would make a wonderful present for anyone who likes wildflowers and beautiful landscapes. Plus, there's a forward by Prince Charles, praise from Richard E. Grant, an essay by the Royal watcher Robert Hardman, and shorter pieces on wildflowers by Nick Coleridge, Julian Fellows, and Alan Titchmarch. There's also an essay about the Meadowlands by the famous arts and gallerist Philip Mould, and whose gallery I gather you're going to be exhibiting your photographs in later on. Now, regular listeners will know that both Philip Mould and Nicholas Coleridge have been on this podcast. So this book is bound to be right up our listener's street. So can you start by telling
3: them about the meadowlands? They are just so gorgeous to spend time in. I mean, I literally had an epiphany in my first one, which I'll come back to, but they they make such an incredible contribution to sustainability and biodiversity. There are 1,400 different pollinators uh, in a meadow and of course, 70% of our crops are pollinated, you know, from, from these pollinators. So the human chain of life really, really relies on them. But of course, as a photographer, I was approaching them as these gorgeous creatures, which by making what well, I think are quite invisible part of our natural heritage, much more visible, at least trying to, to, to bring some attention to them, they would earn some more respect. And, and in fact, Earn greater protection.:
0: Now, Charlotte has a copy of your book. I, I don't. you know that's the where this <laughs> works. I think the book costs 50 pounds, although I'm told it's cheaper online, and it's not a lot, actually, when you consider how much has gone into it. And also, as Charlotte pointed out to me, it's a lot cheaper than some of your previous books. Uh, apparently, the Queen's People retailed for 500 spondoolies and it's a, it's a good investment because apparently if you bought it online now, it's 700 quid. But anyway, that's enough of how expensive your books are. What, with this book, you are giving all the profits to Plant Life. So give us a
3: brief introduction to what Plant Life does. Well, Plant, plant Life, as you say, will will be the beneficiaries of profits from sales and because... You've been so tough on me ed um we're offering a 15 percent <laughs> discount <laughs> to your listeners but i think the point is, is about the quality it's a massive book it's over 300 pages it's a vast size the quality of the paper is a, is enough to make you weep and therefore you know it's it, you you have a wonderful wildflower bunch of flowers for life uh supporting plant life and their their aim of course is to bring black wildflower meadows in each county of the uk and I suppose they've been incredibly successful, really. The book takes you on a journey all around the country. So in the, the most northerly uh, meadow is on Mull. And then there are lots, obviously, along the south coast, Kent and Sussex, where you get these different soil types. So every meadow, and there are 20 in the book, has a completely different character, completely different component of flowers. And we're, we're all equally mind-blowing in, in one way or another. I suppose where we got very lucky was... Having Prince Charles on board meant High Clare Wildflower Meadow, which no one had really focused on. It's mainly focused on the garden itself, uh, is included. That was an incredible experience. And the same with uh, the Queen at Sandringham, uh, which no one else has shared on their own before. So I felt incredibly blessed and and honoured. And I think the most exciting meadow for me, though, was, was one up in Yorkshire, Mooka Meadow, because Mooka translates, is, is a Norse word, and it translates as uh, new narrow meadow. So the Vikings were in York in 880 AD. So new in 880 AD makes it really quite an ancient part of our natural heritage. And therefore, I think something worth preserving. That's the meadow where, when I went there, I thought, well, this is as close to paradise on earth as you can get. If I was to peg it, I can't think of a better place to to you know to it was was just incredible actually, and the sound of these meadows. I say they have fourteen hundred pollinators, so you know you're seeing this incredible sight, but it's also doing incredible amount of good uh, for the planet and for human beings. All the plant life meadows, which are fifteen in this book with a with a handy map, are public access meadows. And the others, which I think are are sort of interesting, include obviously Highgrove, where you can buy tickets, Blenheim Palace, where you can buy tickets, Chatsworth, which was actually the the Wildflower Meadow that won the Chelsea Flower Show uh, with Dan Pearson as as the garden designer back in 2015. And I think the book is very well named as Wildflowers for the Queen, because Prince Charles dedicated, as Ed said in his introduction to the Queen, on the day of the coronation, and that was actually when i photographed the queen in that much more expensive book uh, <laughs> of, to celebrate the longest the, the longest reign by a monarch and on the on the dress in the in the in the uh, both the wedding dress and the coronation dress were sewn all these flowers because floral em- emblems have been part of the royal story You know as far back as the war of the roses you know a lot of these flowers in here are are red listed or endangered so my thinking is that's weird you know a rhino gets a lot of protection but these flowers get kind of minimal protection the monkey orchid was believed extinct until 1952 and um they found a colony you know by chance as usual in kent in fact and now they've managed to clone if you like another one so there there are two this is nature at its most dramatic and theatrical so it's 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 a bright pink bright cherise, purple shades uh, and there's you know probably 50 70 of them f- tumbling down the, the the green stem of the the flower with its pink tail looking completely riotous in a in a field in the middle of of Kent so you know I just thought this is it's so tragic why why are we trashing them this is just it's just it, 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 it's so avoidable.
0: I think it's a great point. I mean, I do think there should be more protection. Are there great meadow designers out there that uh, one should turn to if if you've got this a big patch of land
3: you want to turn into a meadow? Well, definitely. I mean, I think you know, I think it's it's caught on a bit. Like welding is what was, we've we've discovered. It really, you know, has had a, a, a massive um, support, and everyone seems really fascinated by it, and. Want, want i suppose partially through the lockdowns and covid um to connect a bit more with nature so i think the first step would be to contact plant life and they can help you on on any scale large large or small and i think you know if if you're living in a city and have no land one way of approaching it is to see what your local county flower is so in gloucestershire it's uh, Narcissus Oxfordshire happens to be the snake's head fertillery and, and in fact, Magdalen College uh, is featured in the book, which has the best wildflower meadow of snake's head I think, in the in the world. Um, it's quite remarkable, and you know, it's very inspiring. It inspired all those great writers, C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, were were all walking round there getting their ideas squared up. So I think it that that makes it quite a good investment, the bookhead, thinking about it.
0: <laughs> well, I, I think so, especially as I, I think that flower may be on my coat of arms. I'll have to check. Um, <laughs> yes oh good this is, this is very very exciting
3: yeah no it is a perfect present for Mother's Day and um, indeed for for any keep game. going <laughs> it is no it's,
1: a, <laughs> no it's a it's a beautiful book
0: <laughs> brilliant I think well, I thank think you, it's Sean. very good for Father's Day as well actually
3: very good for so, Father's Day there you go. Day. Yeah. Wildflowers that last forever and you don't have to water them.
1: Oh, thank you so much Hugo. That's brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Don't forget that listeners can buy Hugo's book at a 15% discount from his website www.hugoritsonphotography.com and Ritson is spelt R I T S O N. At the checkout use the code BREAKOUT all one word. And thank you very much for that offer Hugo as it really is a very beautiful book. Our next guest is Emma The Duchess of Rutland, whom I first met in 2015 when I went to Beaver Castle to interview her with her three daughters, Violet, Alice, and Eliza, for this magazine. Since then, Emma, who's also a mother to two sons, has turned Beaver into a proper going concern, presented television programs, and written several books. And now she started a podcast. It's called Duchess. And I'm delighted to say she's here with us to tell us all about it. Good morning.
4: Good morning, Charlotte. Lovely to be here with you.
1: Wonderful. Now, we're thrilled to have you on,
0: Your Grace, and I apologise for Charlotte's over-familiar tone. (laughs) We're very excited to hear that your daughter, Violet, who helps with your podcast, apparently listens to our podcast, so it's podcast
4: Bearing in mind that I didn't know what a podcast was when (laughs) Violet first came to me, so it's all a journey of discovery.
0: We're all on a journey, as Megan might say. Anyway, your podcast, Your Grace, involves you going around the great stately homes of Britain, talking to the women who either run them or are at the heart of them. And obviously, because of your own position, you've managed to open doors into normally very hidden private lives. So please do tell our listeners who you've talked to so far. And also, I'd love to know what your listeners think of the podcast.
4: The first house I think that uh, the listeners can go and listen to, I went to meet Dimitra at uh, Headingham Castle, which is actually a keep in Essex. Dimitra was so charming. She was a great first for me because she was very gentle and you just felt that she took with you, she cradled you through the whole experience. She was incredibly bright, uh, an architect. And what I've touched me most about that first interview was most definitely seeing This extraordinary pair of curtains that she was stitching by hand. They were the length of most probably most people, the height of their homes. Um, (laughs) And these curtains were sort of trailed across the sitting room where they watched um, television and out through into the next room and she was hand stitching them all and you could see the love that she had put into her home. One of the key things that's come up as a recurring theme is number one how all the women are so respectful of the other women that have done the job. And there's a great sense of pride for the female line. Secondly, the recurring feature through every house I visited was the story about the ghosts and the things that go bang in the night. And that particular chat to Dimitra was just oh tingling. Because she told me the story about how she literally would go down into the kitchen and she would things had been moved. And um, <laughs> she would actually speak to the ghosts. So I came home and I was much braver about some of the things that go bang in the night at
1: Beaver. (laughs) Have you got a ghost at Beaver? We have. Several.
4: Charlotte, Yes, we did have a lot when we first moved in. And I was very angry about these wretched ghosts. I'd literally go round the castle speaking in a very stern voice to them and suggesting that they go to the light which is um, what a friend of mine told me you have to say to anything that shouldn't be hanging around. The interesting thing is they have definitely changed over the years because when we first arrived, there were loads of children. And I think they were quite excited seeing all of my children. And if you ask Violet, does she believe in ghosts? She'd categorically tell you that she had a rather nasty ghost in her bedroom. I've never seen a ghost here, thank goodness. But I have heard things and I would never question my children.
0: Totally. Yes. I mean, I, I wouldn't get a wink of sleep if I had a ghost in my bedroom. I have to say, I don't know how Violet put up with it.
4: No, if I also had ghosts uh, sort of in medieval costume... Who stood in the corner and wouldn't let her uh, stood in the corridor and wouldn't let her pass when she was little, and she arrived in our kitchen, which is sort of in the middle of the castle, and she was
1: white. But well, that's absolutely fascinating that that's a common thread. What what were the other common threads that that you that united them?
4: The women that I've spoken to so far, there's definitely. They're, they have had they 've come up against obstacles on their journey in private heritage, and those obstacles varied on, on many levels but it it is it is the ability of the individual to overcome whatever is put in front of them and and I think most probably that was a recurring theme i think there's there 's a fruitleness about the ladies of these ha- homes so they're, they're all very much, Every everyone I've spoken to has very much got their finger on the pulse with the purse and knowing what, how the business is... They are fundamentally business women. I think I've got, this week coming up, we've got the Countess of Devon, AJ, at Powderham Castle. There's been many links with her and Megan because she's was a Baywatch um, actress in, and lived in L.A., but no woman had more charm, nor more focus and drive, and she was wanting to do sort of, um, I think, do something with uh, health. Yeah, one, one of the things about making these um, podcasts is how uplifting it was for every moment for me, because I've luckily got Violet to tell me how to turn the wretched thing on, um, <laughs> and my wonderful team to tell me, you know, what questions were. That i could then just connect with the human being
0: and do you get a lot of feedback from your listeners
4: oh my goodness it's wonderful i think that it's really struck a chord and i'll have i'm having emails from people from all over the world it's it just blows my mind and and all ages and i'm also surprised that a, a lot of men which is interesting because I, I, I did think it would just appeal to women. But, you no, know, I think anything to do with people's roots, and, and that's one of the things that seems to have come out of the podcast, is, well, I, I'm so keen on roots. Uh, everything to me is about actually where where we're from and our genes. And I, I suppose I'm a Welsh farmer's daughter, and I think most probably what the likes of myself and the other women who've married into these families do, is they're just bringing in a bit of new blood.
1: Well, I know that you've been keen on this idea for a very long time. When we first met, I remember you talking about it, that you know, so often the women are the unsung heroines of these great big homes they are really keeping the whole show on the road.
4: Uh, I, yeah, I've, I always say um, that w- whatever I do, the Duke is always on my shoulder. He is the boss. It is his home. It is his heritage. And I'm merely car- carrying out my job to try and do the very best I can to hand it over to the next generation.
0: I just heard a noise in the background. Was that a, was that a ghost? Was it-, <laughs> it
4: could be <laughs> a ghost, yeah. What, what, it could what? be a ghost.
0: <laughs> so I think uh, I used to address the Historic Houses Association every year when I was the Heritage Minister. I think we should, particularly as we we're recording this on International Women's Day, I think next year, Your Grace, you should host the Women of the Historic Houses International Women's Day Lunch.
1: There you go. Great idea.
4: Oh, Ed, I love that idea. If anyone's listening to this and wants to help sponsor this lunch, it would be amazing <laughs> to do it. And uh, I would it would be a great honour to host it. And I think we've called it the Stately Wives Club, haven't we?
0: <laughs> oh, this is so exciting. I love these little kind of podcast turning into a brainstorm.
4: If there's anyone listening to this um, who has got a big house, we are looking at doing our next um, series of 10 in May. And and I'm just so very, very grateful to the 10. I call them my top golden girls. They came on board with such grace and I'm so grateful.
0: It's absolutely wonderful. I mean, it, it does shine a light on the fact that these are major Commercial enterprises, if I can put it crudely.
4: It's really interesting um, because it, it is an incredibly delicate balance that that every day the Chatelaines take decisions on. Um, again, respecting the fa- you know the family wishes. I can remember when we first moved here. And um, we were looking at some of the very damaged Chinese wallpaper and there was a great debate about, you know, what, what we should do. It was looking really scruffy and it was going to cost this much to restore it or to replace it and so on and so forth. And always the house sort of talks to you in the end and it always has its own I feel these houses, they almost, they show you the way if you're sensitive enough to them and tune into them enough. They really do guide you.
0: It's the ghosts again. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Your Grace. It's been a wonderful chat.
4: And thank you, everyone, who's sending me wonderful messages. Keep them coming. Uh, it's really uplifting in lockdown to know that uh, it's bringing light to some people's lives. Thank you.
0: Oh, God thank bless you. everyone. Just in case you were wondering about that spooky interruption earlier, we learnt later that it was the Duke and not one of the many beaver ghosts. That's all we've got time for this week, but the brand new March-April Spring Awakening edition of Country and Townhouse is out now, so please race down to Waitrose or your newsstand to get a copy. You can tell which demographic we're aiming for. (laughs) Unless you're lucky enough to live in parts of London where it actually pops onto your doormat. Sadly, that is not Shepherd's Bush where I live. Otherwise, as listeners will know by now, you can go to countryandtownhouse.co.uk forward slash newsletter and subscribe to the weekly newsletter and to the monthly one from Great British Brands.
1: Yes, and you'll also find our sister podcast on our website, Michael Heyman of Changemakers, talking to some of our great British brands founders and leaders, and Carolyn Nett's podcast, House Guest, an absolute must for anyone interested in design. Last week she talked to Sandra Rhodes, and this week she's talking to Charlotte Lawson Johnston of Cloth Collective about climate positive, healthy interior textiles and products.
0: And on that very positive and healthy note, goodbye. But be absolutely sure to listen in next week as we've got Gilbert and George coming on this podcast to talk about their incredible new show, New Normal Pictures at White Cube. This is not to be missed. See you next week.